You're listening to episode 12 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dave Fish. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Head coach of Harvard Men's Tennis. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Uh, I'm really grateful that you can join me today. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic discussion on the Universal Tennis Rating System with Dave Fish, who is the head men's tennis coach at Harvard University. And so the Universal Tennis Rating System is a ratings-based system that makes it much easier for players to know what level they truly are at. It utilizes an analysis of pretty much all the matches you play and determines uh, what level you're at uh, based on a 16-level tier. And there's a lot of potential upside, including more competitive matches and reduced costs uh, of travel. Um, I also talk with Dave about Harvard men's tennis in general and ask him a few audience questions. Uh, And thanks to you guys, uh, especially from Reddit. Shout out to Reddit Tennis for your great questions for Dave. So again, I really appreciate you guys uh, listening in today, and without further ado, here's the interview. Hey guys, we're here with Dave Fish, the head coach of uh, Harvard University Men's Tennis, and uh, I brought Dave on the show today to talk to you about a universal tennis rating system, which is an exciting new system that provides tennis players worldwide a common scale to determine their level of play based on actual match results. Uh, without regard of, for age, gender, or where the matches are played. And to me, uh, this system has the potential to make matches uh, more competitive and, and prevent a lot of blowout matches that we see commonly in, in tournaments. Uh, but Dave, uh, thanks so much for uh, being on the show and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to join you. This is uh, it's great what you're doing, and, and I think people are interested in hearing about what's going on in the world of tennis at large. Oh, yes, for sure. And and thank you so much for being on, uh, Dave. And so I just want to give a, a brief introduction to Dave. So Dave is actually in his 39th season as Harvard's men's tennis coach. Uh, he has an amazing, uh, as of the beginning of this season, uh, I believe something like 626 wins and 200 some odd losses, uh, which is just an amazing winning percentage. He has a, an 87% win percentage in the Ivy Leagues, uh, which is also incredible. And he's led Harvard to six out of the last 14 Ivy League titles, and then I believe also 20 of the last 34 conference titles. And Harvard University has appeared in 22 NCAA tournaments under Dave's tutelage. So I just wanted to you know, highlight those amazing accomplishments, Dave. Well, thank, thank you very much. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a while, and I'm grateful for the chance to have been here. So, uh, so uh, I appreciate your mentioning it, but... Uh, but it, but it's really been a privilege for me. Um, so, for sure, yes, it's just such a prestigious uh, institution that you're at at Harvard University. And I just want to begin by asking you, Dave, a bit about your background and then how you got into coaching tennis. 
Yeah, I actually, um, <clears throat> I attended Harvard and uh, was captain of the tennis team and the squash team and back when squash was played sort of in the winter when we didn't have indoor tennis courts. And then with the tennis boom, um, open tennis opened up the whole world to us. We all began playing in what, what used to be called satellite tournaments. And um, uh, and I just fell in love with coaching. I had a chance during my my college years to to work with the USTA New England junior players, take them to the nationals. And uh, at that point, I, I kind of realized that was my calling, although I went through a brief, a brief flirtation with medical school. Um, fortunately, the coaching won out. I think there are a lot more people alive today because of my decision <laughs> and, uh, and have been there happily ever since. So um, it's, it's been a great run, and, uh, and every day is still really interesting, and the players are fascinating. It's fantastic, David. So what's your favorite part about being a college coach? Well, one is I think we're getting to work with um, players and students at a level that is much deeper than most professors get to to engage with their students. Is that many years ago when I thought about uh, being a teacher, I realized that as a coach, I had the advantage of of uh, of having players in my classroom who actually wanted to be there. And I knew that I couldn't say that if I were a teacher, that that, that wasn't always the case. But when you're on a team, the players really want to be there. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of their passion. And I love being a part of that passion with young people. Um, and I think we get a chance to get to know people in much greater depth than, mo- than most of them will get to know their professors. And so I think it becomes a very distinguishing part of young people's careers in college. Um, so we're lucky to have them, but, but I think they, and, and I think it also brings a greater sense of relationship to the college. They develop these lifelong friends and they often will be at each other's weddings. And, uh, and now with the internet, you can correspond and keep up with people all over the world. So they're, they're grateful and I'm happy when I see them. It's kind of as if our family continues to get bigger and bigger. Well, we definitely all appreciate uh, all the hard work that you put in and your passion for the sport and uh, the way that you affect uh, so many of these uh, young kids' lives and help them progress to become uh, you know, very successful men and women. So, Dave, before we talk about the universal tennis rating, uh, you know, our audience, I was very excited to hear you come on the show, so I'm just going to ask you a couple audience questions um, before we sure. tackle UTR. I appreciate it. So if you could take us through a typical Harvard men's tennis practice, that would be cool. Well, we we try to do things that we try to spend the four years of someone's career preparing them in such a way that if their talent is good enough, like a James Blake was when he played for Harvard, um, that they've done all the preparation work to be of really have built themselves up physically to not be subject to injury, to have built themselves up mentally and emotionally to handle pressure. Um, and so our practices are happen at a number of different levels. We work on our physical training, stabilization muscles, core training, um, all the ingredients that if, if I look at a, this wonderful video that's now available in high definition uh, on the internet, um, we won't be doing anything in our practices or in our conditioning times that we can't actually point to on the pro circuit. And so we're trying to make those four years not be, um, uh, not be separate from the kids who aspire to do more after college, but to be part and parcel of it. But in the same time, the players who don't aspire to do that or may not have the talent to do that 
are going to be as strong physically as they can be. And I think there's still this wonderful um, benefit to a sound mind and a sound body. I think, I think that that level of training, that level of conditioning, that level of attention to your nutrition, um, to whether it's meditation or yoga, all of those things are building blocks toward being successful in anything. So I look at this as just another part of their education. Well, that's a fantastic approach to training your players, obviously um, pushing them to be the best that they can be. And, and that's where you know all the best players end up is on the tour. So emulating uh, those techniques and approaches are obviously uh, very optimal. And so I guess if you could do some quick math for us and just tell us how many hours a week approximately do your players practice? Well, the NCA has, um, has a limit of 20 hours per week. Um, and that's a limit only that the coaches can spend time with the players. So we really leave it up to the players themselves to see how well they can organize and execute around the priorities in their lives, which include being a student, including pay attention to their friends, and devoting, gee, up to 20 hours a week to being as, becoming as good a player as they can be. So um, lots of it will come down to individual initiative. A lot of our recruiting comes down to finding the, the young men who, um, who want to find out how much they're capable of rather than how little they'd have to do to do what they love, the tennis. And so we look for people who are willing to reach and expand. And, and we find, in fact, that our players do well not because they have so much, not because they have so little to do, but because they've learned to manage a lot on their plate. And that gives them the ability to what we call um, sequential unitasking. Instead of multitasking and trying to do a lot of things at once, they learn to be good at doing one thing fully and then leaving that behind them and then moving to another thing and embracing that fully. And I think that makes them better competitors on the court. I definitely agree, Dave. And so we also have a question from the audience. Uh, this person asks, what is the criteria for a recruit to meet as a potential Ivy League student-athlete? Well, I think in general, it would be fair to say that we, we don't want to have standards for athletes that are really different than the rest of the student body. It's not good for the athlete to be feel like a gladiator class that they've just lowered the bars for. Mm-hmm. And so... Harvard really is, is trying to attract the best students from around the world, not necessarily the people with the best scores, but the people who have the greatest predictors for making a contribution in the future. And it, it, Harvard calls it in, investing in futures, is that we're looking for the people who are bright and interested and energetic and determined. So we give a rough guideline of top 10% in their class, um, Historically, the best predictor of future performance is not so much the SATs, but your, your uh, rank in class or how you do your GPA. Um, the SAT subject tests are also a strong indicator because that measures knowledge that you've acquired. But really, it's the habits that, that cause these people to be successful. And we know that there are many multimillionaires or successful people who have been B students and done well. And so Harvard really looks for individual qualities, um, uh, people who've been through successes and failures. And the reason they put so much attention on um, having 42 varsity sports, which is more than any other college program in the country, is because they believe that athletes have actually not only learned how to win, but have actually learned how to fail and do it often gracefully and, and use it as a, an impetus to spur them on to greater accomplishments once they get over licking their wounds. <laughs> Fantastic. 
And, and so, Dave, um, are there any uh, particular incentives for student athletes to choose Ivy League schools such as Harvard in place of athletic scholarships? Well, I think it, dep- it, it certainly depends on a family's circumstances, but Harvard sort of led the way in financial aid because it didn't want anybody to have to choose um, a, a school because they couldn't afford Harvard. So Harvard devotes, I believe it's something like $160 million a year that comes in from their alumni alone hmm. to make it possible for people um, from very poor financial backgrounds, middle-income financial backgrounds, to make it possible. And as one parent said to me, Harvard's very smart about it. Um, they don't make it easy, but they make it possible. And when we look at all the things that our son gets in terms of a national schedule and great coaching and great facilities, and then you add all of that on top of it, it's easy to make a decision that's not just for four years, but for 40 years. It's not, it's not a tennis decision, it's a life decision. And so we think that, that this model, this Ivy League model, is a tremendous model for being successful. And it may well be something that we see the rest of the sports world move to in the what we would call the non-revenue or the Olympic sports because um, you want great students and, and we don't want to sell them short. The, the, the best thing about Harvard is it doesn't say in order to be a great athlete, you have to forego your attention to your academics. It says, no, you can do both. You have to be disciplined about it. But that's the way we would expect to be disciplined. Anybody who's going to have a successful career, have a successful family life, participate in, in social causes, etc. So this kind of loads up the plate early and gets them used to it. Oh, I can really appreciate the balance between athletics and academics because um, it's not the best idea to put all your eggs in one basket. So Dave, uh, appreciate you answering those questions uh, from the fans. And so now let's shift over to the universal tennis rating system. And can you just tell us, you know, what exactly UTR is all about and why it was created? Sure. And and thanks for asking. I appreciate your interest in it. This to me is, is um, I would say, the universal tennis ratings and what they make possible in the tennis world. In the next five to ten years probably will be the greatest um, positive change agent we've seen in tennis in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, Essentially, the Tennis Industry Association, which is a, a trade association that, that uh, tennis has created, have defined the two major reasons that's, that people drop out of tennis. One, it's a lack of courts, and two, it's lack of finding a great game of good tennis that people will enjoy, that's, that's close. And Universal's premise, which I learned about six or seven years ago, was that they want to keep, help keep players in a great game by giving them a good game. Um, the founder, Dave Howell, was Virginia was a lifetime um, tennis professional who looked at tennis through a very different lens than I had ever heard someone uh, use. Um, I call Dave the money ball guy that had really um, looked at sort of underutilized ways of, of looking at competition and said, you know, there's a much better way. Um, so I learned more about uh, what was missing in tennis and what could be right about tennis in an hour talk with him seven years ago than I had learned probably in 35 years. We had a lot of different themes that we, we knew could be, um, could be improved on. We knew that younger players could be playing more often with their older, smarter peers in college. We knew that that was happening around the world um, and, and that the success of the college system, in fact, insulated the college players from playing and helping the younger players develop. 
we realized that that was happening in countries all around the world who didn't have as successful a collegiate system as we did. So in some ways, this universal tennis rating was um, an idea whose time really had come. And the beauty of it, it is not just another rating system that says, hey, let's put players in a bandwidth. It's actually a body of research that shows that when we put people together in these certain bandwidths, the likelihood that they will experience more satisfying, more engaging, more competitive matches goes up two or three hundred percent. And so at every level, it allows us to put people together, not just based on what I joke about is their date of manufacture, which is what age-based play is about, but actually their actual level. So that, so that the idea of having a 15-year-old have to travel or a 16-year-old have to travel a long way to find another 16-year-old just to see who gets bragging rights for being the best 16-year-old. When there's a 17 or 18 or 20-year-old player across town that can beat the pants off them still, we end up uh, pricing a lot of families out of the game. We price out federations uh, because they can only develop a limited number of players, um, given how expensive it is to travel the world to get competition. And we price families out um, along the way who simply say, I just, I, I'm not prepared. I can't afford to leave that work to take my son or my daughter uh, to a tournament far away. And we simply can, by using universal tennis ratings, we can actually use these ratings to deploy all of our resources, our collective energies and money um, much more sensibly, save kids from having to miss as much school, and actually put them together so they, they improve faster by playing what is called level-based play. And that's a, tournament, a term that I'll refer to often. The universal ratings are interesting in and of themselves. It's fun to know where I or any player on my team or any high school player, any club player fits against the backdrop of the world's best players. And right now, Universal has probably 230,000 players of the best players in the world all rated. But what's most important is that if it, if it will be a failure if that's all we use it for, is to make better, accurate, better seedings, more accurate selections, that will have missed that will have gone halfway, not the whole way. The whole way will be when we make level-based events available to anyone, anywhere. Um, and that's where the economy of the game comes because you can create more local competition. People have to find a bus fare or uh, they might be able to use their bicycle or they might be able to hop on a subway um, instead of getting an airfare. And once you've done that and you eliminate hotels, you've made tennis possible at every level for a much wider swath of the population. And if we hope to bring disadvantaged kids or kids coming from less optimal backgrounds into the game, we, we can build a structure in cities all over the United States um, that will create that kind of opportunity for them. And that to me is a, is a total game changer for tennis. Um, we were, we visited with John McEnroe a month ago, uh, who is intentionally created the John McEnroe Tennis Academy. And his premise is a kid should be able to develop locally. And the case that most excited him about universal tennis was that um, if he builds a nonprofit to fund kids that he might try to help that come out of Harlem or, or disadvantaged places, and he can actually build a great player development system um, in the New York area, um, if you then have to pay for an expensive system that most except the people with big pockets can't, can't, can't afford, 
you're having to raise 10 times the amount of money to help these kids continue in tennis. But if you if we all participate in building this infrastructure using these universal ratings, then it's possible to have have ecosystems of competition around, say, New York City that all of these kids can participate in and have all the college players in the in the in the area. You've got you've got Princeton and Columbia and St. John's and all sorts of Division three teams there. Um, uh, and you've got lots of players who had collegiate experience themselves that are working in businesses now. All of that ecosystem can, can be brought together to let those kids have affordable local development. So the so the 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 um, the, the artistry of this vision is amazing, and it's been proven over and over again uh, in pockets of development throughout the course of tennis that players who are allowed to develop locally and compete against each other make each other better faster. Um, and can go on to national level play and world class play um, in the right system of development. Well, Dave, thanks so much for that explanation about the UTR, and it really is a, an amazing, uh, innovative new system because it 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 breaks barriers in a way. Um, you know, there's no sort of discrimination in, as opposed to playing, uh, you know, male or females or age and things like that. Have you heard any sorts of, um, I guess. Um, People who are against this system, for example, who are who may express that it's it's not right for or, or might be strange for males to play females and things like that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's interesting. I think that's more a generational question. Um, I think that young people are have grown up competing boys and girls in soccer leagues, hockey leagues, um, little league baseball. Um, it doesn't seem to be a big issue. Um, and of course, if we ask Billie Jean King what she thought about it, you know, she'd say, hey, get a life, kid. <laughs> this, is the, this is the world we live in. And so the, I, I thought that one of the beautiful parts about Universal is that it included men and women on the same scale rather than different scales. And in no way is it meant to diminish this, the incredible level of the top women players in the world. But it says that in many parts of the country, the density of competitive players at any one level is not high enough to feed a tournament. Um, if you, if in those less dense player areas, you can put men and women together, boys and girls together, and find a, and create a competitive event that more people have fun in, and that in turn creates much more of an environment where tennis as a culture succeeds. Because if you if you take a ten k race, for instance. Um, the, 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 the fastest runners will finish at the finish line. The slowest runners will also finish with the other slow runners at the finish line. They're all part of a big festival, so they get to be around the players that they're most comfortable with. In tennis, the old model is on the last day of the tournament, you've got two players there, and they're, they're, both their parents are watching, but that's, that's all that's left because everybody else has gone home. And that just misses the wonderful social culture that you can build in tennis. And when we use universal tennis ratings to build compass draws or round-robin competition based on their levels, everybody's there at the end. It still can be a party. And so I think, we've, I think this also helps us bring back a lot of the mentorship of older players routinely playing with younger players. I mean, it, it, think of the logic is we put two 14-year-olds on a, on a clinic court um, Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, 
and, and they hit cross courts with another 14-year-old. They never grow into a 35-year-old's mind. But if you put a 15-year-old on a court with a 33-year-old in competition, and he gets drop-shotted and lobbed, and you know the guy knows how to slow it down when he's losing and speed it up when he's winning, you're going to put an old head on young shoulders much faster mm-hmm. by exposing them to that. And that, to me, is one of the things that we've lost inadvertently. I think it's, a, it's an unintended consequence. As tennis got more and more organized, we actually separated people by narrower and narrower bandwidths based on age. The beauty of college tennis is it's not an age-based system. You get to play against the best players if you're good enough, not because of your age. There's no 20 and under. There's no 22 and under. There's no 24 and under. Same thing on the pros. And the research that Dave Howell did, the, the, the founder of UTR, said that um, uh, based on a very simple concept that he made, which to me is elegant, he said, let's just, let's just suppose we draw a line in the sand and say that if I can get seven games or more from you in a match, um, I've reached a competitive threshold. You probably broke me one time per set, but I held serve a lot of times. So I probably made you work at it, and you didn't embarrass me. Both players come away winners. When you put people together that way in what, what I call level-based play in college or in the pros, those pro matches at the men's level reached competitive thresholds 7 out of 10 times or 70% of the time. They did the same thing in the top college events in the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. On the women's side, probably because the serve is not as, as, doesn't play as big a role, they reached a 55% both on the WTA Tour and the ITA Women's um, Best Level Tournaments. Unfortunately, we looked at the regular USTA district tournaments, age-based. They had so many different levels in that age group because uh, you put any group of 14-year-olds together and you're going to have wildly different athletic abilities, that it reached at an average of 27% of the time. So really parents and coaches and kids were missing school to play three out of four matches that were kind of ho-hummers for the good athletes and they were humiliating for the bad athletes. They were ending in 6-love, six 6-1, one, six one, six And a few of those matches are good but not a steady diet. It's a little bit like eating junk food and wondering why you're not getting stronger and faster. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunities became obvious. If we, instead of relying on age-based system primarily, just to, for bragging rights to see who's the best 14-year-old, you certainly are always going to want to see who's the best 14-year-old at some level. There should be a couple of national tournaments in a year. But the rest of the time, the kids should be able to develop by playing against players their level. And if they do well enough, they should earn the chance to play against someone better. And one of, the, <clears throat> one of the systemic flaws in our current system is that most systems around the world have gravitated toward a, a common denominator called the points per round advancement. Players are ranked and seeded based on how far they advance in a tournament. The irony is that while that system is very easy to explain to parents and, and reduces complaints to associations, it produces highly inaccurate rankings. Then those seedings in tournaments are based on those inaccurate rankings. And we've actually created inadvertently, we've created a system where we encourage kids and parents and coaches to find the events that give the greatest reward for the least risk. That to me is not defining what competition is all about. 
So the beauty with Universal was Universal puts the kids against a backdrop of the best players in the world. And the best 14 and under kid, instead of feeling like he's arrived, and then when he gets to 15, he's afraid to change his game because he's been so successful when he was 14. Those kids are always aspiring to say, well, what are we, what's it going to take for me to move up the next level? And that's the aspirational quality to this, um, to this uh, rating system. It's a 1 through 16.50 scale, and it's built on actual performance, actual results off, off of thousands and thousands of matches. It's an algorithm. And, and the beauty of it also, Marvin, is that I believe that unlike other systems that are based on, on matches won versus matches lost, I believe that uh, adolescents really have a hard time judging themselves fairly. If a 15-year-old loses to someone 7-5 in the third set, he comes away saying, I was terrible, I'm a loser. Uh, in the universal system, it's based on games won versus games lost. So the better someone does against a higher-rated player, the more that actually influences rating in a positive way. And on the pro circuit, we're actually watching people um, Universal is almost a forecaster of future um, successes because as a player gets better, they start to they start to reach, play more competitive matches against better players, but they're usually not ready to beat them first off. The better player is more experienced, comes through in the end. But then maybe two months down the road, you've started to see that person's UTR rating rise. Then you start to see them get some wins because they're picking up the experience and they've been there and it's no big deal. And, and that to me is what's exciting because if you look at, uh, say, track, for instance, or swimming, you can lose a race but still know that you've swum or ran your personal best. What Universal does, it, gives, it introduces the concept of personal best into tennis. You can feel good after you lose. It's not that anybody loves to lose, but it's sure better than losing and feeling like it's either a pass-fail course, I either succeeded or I was terrible. Well, it's a very exciting system, Dave, because it really encourages competitive play. And uh, when you, you know, talked about UTR, it reminded me of a tournament that I played in last year, a men's open tournament, where the first two rounds I won something like 6-1-6-0 and then 6-0-6-0. And then I played a, a high-level pl- uh, college player. And I just, uh, I didn't know what was going on because I went from a uh, very low level play uh, a, a, a very low level opponent uh, player to a very tough player and I, the speed was just um, very surprising to me and uh, you know I would have very much appreciated uh, if there was a UTR system in place where from the get go I, I could have um, at least had a competitive match um, but I'm curious to see uh, how far UTR uh, would be implemented in, in tournaments. Uh, and I have a couple of questions on that. So first off, would UTR match up players of even skill levels uh, in, the, in the first round? Is that how it would work in a tournament? Well, because you don't always know who wants to enter a tournament, the idea is to get people to enter a tournament at a level where they have the greatest chance to have what we would call an earned advancement, a, a sense of accomplishment. That is, we'd like them to play the the players that um, they might be a little better than in the first round. And if they if they get through that nervous match, they might get to play then the the player that they're considered pretty even with. And then one of those players is gonna is gonna win. 
And at that point, then you're ready to go on and play the tougher player. You may well lose in the next round, but you have had this sense of progressing. Um, in, in the same way, if the, if the less experienced players draw a more experienced player in the first round, but all of those players go into the, what we would call the back draw, that first round is almost like a qualifying round in uh, the French system. We haven't talked about that a lot. But the French system has really been a wonderful, successful system for many years that is based on it's, – it's a level-based play where they use the French rating system. And while it's, it's based on matches won versus matches lost, it still is a highly effective way of getting thousands and thousands of people playing who would not normally find a satisfying match in the United States. Their system of draw may, a draw may last a month. Uh, the best players would not enter the tournament until, say, the quarterfinals on the last weekend of that month. And each preceding qualifying round would bring players in at the appropriate level. And back to the beginning of the month, they would, play or they would uh, have players entering who were um, much less experienced, but they too would have a chance to play someone that they're a little nervous playing, and maybe if they get by that one, they get to play someone they're even with, and then they get to play the better player. Everybody gets the level of experience that they need and which is appropriate. And that's really what, um, that to me is the future of tennis when we build these local ecosystems. And you can have tournaments that last two weeks, three weeks, and everybody plays in an appropriate uh, round. And so there are different ways, Maribel, to do, to put people together in draws. If you have a limited amount of time on a weekend, you can break people down into a very tight bandwidth where they're playing only with three other players in their uh, in a round robin play, they're going to get some great matches there. The statistics on UTR says that if you play someone within 1.0 up or down of your level, the odds are two two to three hundred percent greater that you'll have a match that reaches this competitive threshold. And if not, it's going to be darn close. And so you can put people together by a round robin. Um, we have a very interesting article on the UTR website uh, called the, the UTR 50% Solution, where um, we believe that we can uh, create an even higher level of matches that reach this competitive threshold by seeding half the draw and um, instead of a quarter of the draw. We think it's almost an anachronism to, to seed only 25% of the draw now. And if you actually put the top 50% players, let's call them the A players, against a B player or, or a player in the bottom 50% of the draw, that nine out of 10 times the higher rated player will win moving on to the main draw. And, and uh, the player that does have the upset or the, the lower rated player who beats the higher rated player moves on with a sense, boy, I really did something rather than I just got a lucky draw where I played another B player who really belonged in the bottom half of the draw. And in turn, the players who go into the back draw now are with people who are very competitive and will result equally in a lot of very close competitive matches. And when you run a compass draw with players at that level, by the end of the tournament, you're playing people in a very tight bandwidth and having a very satisfying experience. And, and that um, kind of what we are excited about is that right now, according to the USTA figures, tennis is losing about 38% of the players who play one tournament or more per year. Hmm. We think that that's because the experience itself, through nobody's intention, nobody's fault, has, has uh, become inefficient. It works to produce the best player in the tournament, 
it yields a winner, but it doesn't pay attention to the consumer's experience. And we believe that with the world of big data and having a, a global rating system is that we can use this big data to make a much higher percentage of the players have a great engaging experience, which in turn is going to keep more people in the game. So instead of just trying to keep the people we have in the game now, we believe that Universal will be the greatest change agent for enlarging the pie again. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Oh yes, Dave. I mean, it's, I think it's really fantastic. And it, um, another uh, example that I thought of while you were speaking was just the fact that a lot of players, they, as you mentioned, they travel to far off places. An example of this is a uh, futures players who travel to, say, Qatar or somewhere just to scratch up some points in weaker fields. It's not really, you know, doing as much for their development as it could be if we use the UTR system. Um, and I am curious also as to you know, perhaps how far we would take um, UTR in terms of the integration of uh, men, women, and age. So, for example, you know, would we apply this, you know, on the uh, professional tour? Would we have uh, integrated men's and women's tournaments, or would we just stop at the USTA level? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, like the the interesting thing, Marabran, about UTR is that UTR has never tried to replace anything. It's, it's been created as a, we call it a, a, a ruler and not a rule. It's designed to complement existing systems and to give associations, players, parents, coaches, federations at all levels a better tool for taking advantage of the resources that they have. And each geographical area has a different set of problems. Some places have indoor court space problems. It's very expensive. Um, some players' places are very spread out, the, the inner mountain range. We don't intend to, to have UTR supplant anything, but simply be used to make each system better. It's, a, it's an accelerator on tennis development. Um, and so if you take the, the ATP level, for instance, the ATP circuit is very successful on its own. Um, what we would like to do is to see more players understand where they really sit on, on a global um, um, system. And I'll give you a case in point, which you alluded to. If, if someone goes to a weak future, say, in Uzbekistan, the quality of the players may be lower. So players come away with what we call a soft point. Um, in January, for instance, uh, USC hosted uh, a, a futures and the level of the qualifying round was as good as the level of most future main draws. And right now, the system, the ATP system, doesn't reflect that quality of players. So the players that got through, they might have won two great matches in the qualifying round, but they really got nothing to show for it in terms of ATP points. And so we believe that, um, that UTR is a system for showing players where they actually sit while they're pursuing those points. And we're actually working closely with more organizations that would like to, uh, say, create bookend UTR events around challengers, around futures, around ITF junior events, 
Um, and so if kids are going to travel that much, instead of having a one-and-done experience or going into an ITF juniors and, and if they get knocked out in the qualies or before they round, reach the round of uh, 32, um, they get no ra- ranking points on ITF. Um, and all these kids right now are being credited with their results from any system. And that's the other thing that so appeals to me is that the new normal in tennis is multiple pathways. The kids are playing they're playing high school events. They're playing USTA age-based events. They're playing ITA, Intercollegiate Tennis Association, summer circuit events, which, which blend junior players and college players. Um, they're playing college events. They're playing futures or challengers. They're playing ITF juniors. They could be playing from six different pathways. And what Universal says is, look, in, a, in an era of big data, why aren't we using it all instead of just using the results from one loyalty system? And what we come out of it is that people say, well, you know, this is a no-brainer. Why wouldn't we use all this data now to, uh, to have players know where they stand from any federation in the world? One of the really interesting things that player development experts are looking at now is saying, imagine when we get this data from domestic results from federations around the world and everybody's inputting the results. Now it's possible to, to track the trajectory of improvement, whether it's a high school player in, um, in Princeton, New Jersey, or it's an ITF junior pro from uh, Croatia or it's a, uh, an aspiring pro in Tennis Australia. You can now track that person's, or you will soon be able to track that person's um, trajectory against a real metric, um, which is games won versus games lost in any of these systems. And you'll be able to compare, how's the, how's the junior in Australia comparing with the improvement level of the junior in England or in the United States? And so Universal's premise is that they want to create a, a, uh, a tool that will make it possible for federations to have advanced analytics that will show them how to develop players better and faster, that will help keep more players engaged, and that, and that the expense of creating that tool when, when um, spread over the whole world of tennis is going to be far less uh, expensive than, than any federation could try to create on its own. And so at every level, this is a, it's a tool for the consumer. It's a tool for the federations, the associations. Um, we just haven't seen a downside to it. And, and I can honestly tell you, in seven years of telling people about this, I have yet to have anyone say, holy cow, this is a no-brainer. Why aren't we doing it? So that's really only been the only complaint that I've ever heard about UTR is, why aren't we doing it? Well, Dave, uh, you know, I've read several articles on UTR as well, and I, I struggle to find any cons to it as well. I mean, it's going to provide higher engagement, more competitive matches, reduce a lot of costs, and um, I think, you know, let more players have uh, a lot more fun on the court uh, rather than just sloshing through um, blowouts. Yes, and Mayor Bond, I would, might also add that, that um, um, one of the premises of Universal is that um, – Membership in Universal should never be limited to the size of one person's wallet. Mm-hmm. And so the, free, the basic membership is forever free, is that anybody in the world can sign up for it and be a part of it and view their level as an integer, as a level 12 or 13 or 14 
um, against any other player in the system. And there's 230 or 40,000 players in there now and almost close to 3 million results. So the, the beauty of it is that we want to engage people at all levels. Universal will stay in business by having several advanced levels of subscription that gets players uh, uh, better analytical tools for understanding where they fit in, how to find great competition, how to optimize their travel budget. Um, and then when they begin, if they begin a college search, I know that hundreds of college coaches use it every day as their first go-to tool um, because for the first time, um, coaches have a tool that allows uh, them to gauge the level of a player from Moscow or Munich or Melbourne or Miami. And that's a, that's, that's a tool that works in reverse for juniors who are looking at college programs is that I now have people, I'll, I'll hear from probably 50 players a week, and they can actually look at the players on my squad and see what is their exact rating level. So, they, so it helps them to um, make better college choices. Um, we have a rate of uh, 15% transfer rate at, at Division One, and we think that this will actually start to slow that down because it will help kids make better choices from the get-go instead of finding themselves at a place that really didn't fit their talents or needs and then trying to transfer. So I would encourage people to, to go in, look at the system. There's some marvelous um, blog articles uh, on tennis development. Eric Buderak, who is um, uh, president of the ATP Player Council, having succeeded Roger Federer, has been writing some marvelous uh, articles on his experience growing up in tennis, all of which point toward the benefits of a system of uh, like universal. And so I would encourage your listeners to go on and learn about it for themselves, write to us about any questions. Um, we're really trying to be a resource for the world. And, uh, and as I said, we think it's going to be the biggest uh, positive change agent in tennis over the next five to 10 years. It will definitely uh, link to universal. I believe it's universal tennis.com, but um, I'll, I'll That's have correct. Great, great. And I'll have that link up on uh, the show notes. It's at tennisfiles.com slash 12. And so, you know, great point about how UTR can help not just players, but also coaches. And I just, um, you know, for those coaches out there who aren't too familiar with UTR, can you go through maybe uh, the steps that you would take, say, once you find a player that you're interested in and how you would specifically utilize uh, UTR to evaluate that player and, and take next steps? Sure. Well, I'll give you an example. The internet has certainly opened up. Now a player from anywhere in the world can write to me and a hundred of other, hundred other coaches. And so now we're seeing, we've probably been in touch with probably 30 or 40 recruiting groups that are understanding that they can actually help their players um, find the right fit. They can approach the right colleges because they now have an independent metric that works against the whole field. Um, and it used to be that we would get a letter and I'd, I'd get a list of 15 tournaments that this player had um, done well in. And I wouldn't have a clue what the level of those tournaments were. So now I just – people put UTR's levels in their, in their recruiting letters. And I know right away whether to roll out the red carpet for that person or to purchase a plane ticket to go visit him and his family or whether I can say, I really think you ought to look at a, at a less competitive program. Um, and that is going to help everybody. Um, and so 
Universal isn't designed as a recruiting tool, but it's but for college coaches and and prospects, um, it's it's turned out to have remarkable value uh, simply by providing an accurate metric for us all to uh, to judge player level by. So uh, I, so the players can can uh, inform coaches better, and the coaches can make better decisions. Um, but in the end, Mirban, what's interesting is it's not just it's not just being used for recruiting. The Intercollegiate Tennis Association has already begun changing its rules and selection in tournaments. It's looking at how it has its preseason rankings, uh, how the uh, Universal's Power Six um, averages might be might be a better way to say this is how good the teams are nowadays. Everybody's close, and uh, this may in fact be a better way to portray portray levels at every level um, by using these tools. So it's it's fun and it's just great to see the excitement people learn about these tools yeah dave i mean it's extremely exciting i mean why not utilize the amazing and wonderful technologies that we have today and um you know it's it's funny because i was looking to register for a tournament uh it's the us open sectional qualifier at college park and i read the information tab and they actually said uh, we will be utilizing the utr system to uh seed players so I think that's a very uh, you know exciting and great development in regards to what you and and everyone else involved and who are supporting UTR uh, want to see. Yeah, um, we've so- actually seen uh, some remarkable progress. They used it for all the um, the U.S. Uh, National Open playoffs last year and had remarkable accuracy in the seeds. Um, so instead of just lumping everybody together, they actually were able to pick out the best players in the tournament and keep them separated. Um, I believe that that event could be much better if you actually um, built it on level-based play, but I think that will come down the road. Um, the uh, New Balance uh, National High School event that we hold at Harvard and, and New Balance does just a tremendous job on have uh, have used it for, this will be their third year now, using that. And we've got uh, USDA NorCal, USDA Midwest, USDA SoCal, USDA Texas, um, all have come on board and are producing some just marvelous events that uh, are causing people to to uh, uh, to play more, enjoy it more, uh, be happier with the system. Um, and Universal doesn't charge any of these sections or federations anything for um, inputting their data. We think that it's kind of a world resource that we're building. It's like a library where anybody should be able to get that information and. Uh, so it's uh, it's fun, and thanks for noting that they that they they were using it in the tournament you played in. Oh, sure, sure. No, it's very exciting. And so, uh, a question about the data. You know, I'm not sure how much you're involved or know about uh, you know the data that's crawled uh, in terms of the matches. But I'm curious to know if there are any matches that are not being uh, integrated with the uh, with with UTR currently, and if they, you know, what matches you think should be integrated, or is UTR just basically grabbing every single match that is is available? No, it's a great question, Mayor Ben. Um, essentially, right now, every week or on a daily basis, um, all the ATP results, all the WTA results, uh, all the USTA results. All the ITF results, all Tennis Europe results, um, um, getting more and more high school results as people get more and more interest in understanding how this will involve. Actually, we'll be able to bring 
345,000 high school players into full citizenship in American tennis. Right now, their results really don't count for anything except getting into the state tournament. But using UTR, that will, we, we will gradually begin um, giving them tools for, for capturing their results more easily. The one um, system that, that will still can be improved is that we'd like to get more um, domestic results from countries. Tennis Canada, for instance, has, has been um, uh, the flagship of countries that have seen the value for changing not only their own tournaments and moving toward level-based play, but also facilitating the ease with which college coaches can, can estimate the talent of the top Canadian players. So right now, Tennis Canada has been um, pretty much a pioneer in providing what we would joke is the Staples easy button for um, putting their results straight in. The Lawn Tennis Association of England is also doing that and is now submitting results very aggressively because they're seeing the same thing happen. We're talking to federations, um, boards of directors all over who are understanding there's no risk to the association. It simply gives them another tool for... Um, for bringing their players together and, and retaining more of them instead of losing them. And we also see um, that this will be a tool down the road for many country federations where they really have hardly two nickels to rub together, um, some of the really challenged um, systems. And, and uh, as UTR continues to develop, these countries will be able to take advantage of simple technology tools that will let them run events, keep track of their players better, um, for virtually nothing. Uh, and, and so it's, a, it's really an amazing, it, it, the tools of this, um, of this tech world have really made it possible that to, for a very small group of dedicated people doing this, these independent ratings 24-7, 365 days a year, um, it's pretty remarkable and we're watching more, more uh, federations express interest in how do they get their players rated reliably um, every day. Fantastic, Dave. Um, and I guess this is more of a comment than a question, but you know the, the players in the USCA leagues, especially they're rated by the uh, NTRP rating, and I just I feel like perhaps the UTR rating could, um, I, you know, I know you said you it's not intended to supplant anything, but perhaps it could be at least an aid to better or more accurately rate certain players because uh, there's a lot of things going on in the leagues as far as people who tank matches in order to <laughs> keep their rating lower, which is just a huge problem because I'm on the board of directors uh, of uh, my county uh, tennis association. And so we encounter all these issues and, and we would love further to be something, you know, perhaps more accurate. Um, not to say that the NTRP ratings are a bad thing, but, you know, maybe this could help out in some way. Well, I, I think in the long run it will, Mayor Ben. We've... Um, um, the USGA's program with the leagues has been a, a wonderful success story for American tennis. Um, inadvertently, it tended to diminish the role of open tennis play. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got good players that are, really want to stick with their buddies. They want to be able to go have a beer with them and play with their buddies. And the, and, and the structure of the I think the NTRP rating would probably be quite accurate, but because they use it to rate people's performance across, gee, I think four or five different kinds of competition, whether it's singles, uh, senior singles, mixed doubles, men's doubles, senior doubles, mm -hmm. um, it, it's essentially a, a hybrid rating. And any rating that tries to be all things 
for all those categories will inherently come out as a less accurate rating for a singles player. Um, and so, so I think that we're simply seeing that an evolution of ideas that down the road, they're probably, we will probably be all working together um, to build a better system for American tennis because if, if, uh, if we don't do tennis in a way that favors the time opportunities, the money opportunities of all our consumers, we're really kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. And so I think this is just an evolution in ideas. We have better tools for matching players now. And I think down the road, this will probably be something that will encourage more players in the post-college to, say, 34 to 40, 45-year-old time to get back and involved in some of these level-based competitions instead of just being content to, to have to sandbag a few matches to play in the leagues with their buddies. I think that 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 the resources of all of our post-college players, here we've got the best collegiate system in the world by miles. And as soon as someone graduates from college, if they don't want to go on the pro tour or they don't have the money to go on the pro tour, we kind of put them out to pasture and say, hey, go get an internship. Um, you know, your tennis is kind of done because there's nowhere for you to go. Mm. Well, that same player in France is playing – they're 50-year-olds playing 50 matches a year in their club tennis and their open tournaments. And those players are stimulus and catalysts for growth of the 15, 16, 17-year-old players. That's why their system continues to get renewed and re-energized. With, they're using the wisdom that they've put all this money into developing these players. And then they're capturing that wisdom by, having, by giving them a system for continuing to, to participate and feel important in the developmental system of the younger group. And that to me is where the huge economy comes, is that we've collectively, we've probably invested in a division one player, we've probably invested a half a million dollars through what his family has done, his coaching, his college has done, and coaches' salaries and facilities, easily a half a million dollars. Well, that person has the equivalent of a degree from the Harvard Business School of Tennis by the time they graduate. And what Universal does is says, let's capture that value. Let's put it back to work in refertilizing the next generation of American players. And that, to me, is the idea that will blow it all out of the water. That's a truly a fantastic goal. And so, Dave, um, you know, I, I'm excited. You're excited. I know a lot of people who are listening or who are going to listen to this episode will be uh, really excited about this new system. And so what can we do to help uh, the universal tennis rating system spread uh, amongst the tennis community? Well, there was a... There's a, uh, I've had more fun in seven years telling it to someone because the reason it has spread is not because it's been a national mandate. This is what you're going to do, and we're going to tell you that we have a one-size-fits-all um, solution for you. They've had the fun. Uh, years ago, there was a, a hair commercial for hair color that said, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on and so on. Well, that's how Universal has spread. So instead of it being Dave Fish or Dave Howell being the, the – uh, the people who are persuading everybody, um, it's been the fun that people have had of saying, gee, here's a problem. I've had a pain point, and what a wonderful solution this is, and let me tell you about it. And when an idea spreads like that, it becomes a wave, and the wave becomes pretty much unstoppable because uh, it's a little bit, uh, I, I kind of joke that Universal is potentially like Uber or Airbnb, except it plays friendly. Our whole intention with Universal is to have it play 
really nicely with federations all over the world to make those systems better. But it also has this uber quality in that it also makes it possible for independent tournament directors, high school coaches, college coaches, um, pretty much anywhere, a recreational, a park recreational teacher, to have a tool to run an independent event, the results of which go directly into universal tennis. So at every level, it gives us a, a way for more people to participate. And I think that eventually federations are going to see that instead of trying to look at it as competitive with what they're doing, they're going to say, holy cow, <laughs> what, why did it take us so long to figure this out? This is just going to help us grow the pie. And this is what we're all in business to do. And so um, we kind of joke that, that any system is going to feel threatening to status quo. But these days, consumers are really king. Consumers are really going to dictate where this goes. And there's never been a consumer that didn't look at this and say, holy cow, what a great set of tools. And how can I help? So we'd love to have all of your listeners help. Spread the word. Tell people about it. Uh, write us with questions. Help us make the system better. Um, at every level, we can sort of use this to, to, to have tennis flourish again, get better and even stronger. And... Uh, and help more kids have a, a very valuable uh, experience in tennis. I, I'm ever so grateful for the opportunities that I've had in tennis. And I realize that, uh, that, that tennis has become less and less affordable to more and more people. And so part of my, my mission later in life and all the people that developed universal tennis was not to, to create something that takes advantage of people, but to give people a tool that will make their experience better and, and hopefully give them many of the experiences that we've all appreciated so much in our um, um, experience with tennis. Well, Dave, the UTR system is definitely, uh, I think, going to revolutionize the game, and it's really going to help tennis a lot, which is really um, what I have to thank you and everyone involved in UTR uh, for, you know, for help promoting UTR because, I mean, the essence of improving ourselves is to uh, challenge ourselves. And with the UTR system, we're going to have more competitive matches, we're going to have less expensive means of, of doing so consistently, more consistently, and um, again, just a, a truly wonderful system that I am excited to see uh, grow, and I, I really encourage, again, all our listeners to check out universaltennis.com, uh, check out the service, you know, the basic services are free, and uh, just a wonderful system, again, that I'm excited for. And uh, Dave, are there any other last, uh, I guess, thoughts on UTR? Uh, no, Mayor Ben. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share this because it's been one of the great joys of, of my last um, few years of, uh, of watching this spread. And we've done it with people who are committed to, to helping people keep the passion in the game, uh, which you clearly are trying to do with your efforts um, to, to publicize important issues. Um, and I think that we, we live in a world today where more people can work together collectively um, to make some sense. And, and, a, and sometimes a lot of the solutions that we've used in the past, a more corporate approach, aren't as effective anymore. Uh, and so we, we, uh, we thank all the people who've been willing. Gee, there have been just people all along the way who at first cut and pasted results in Northern Cal, parents that took time to do it, uh, believed in it, um, it's just been, a, it's been a, a, a great effort by so many people, so we appreciate your efforts to, to help along the way and, uh, and welcome anybody else who wants to pitch in and <laughs> start uh, digging some good holes for, for us to plant new seeds. 
I'm definitely ready to do that, Dave. So, Dave, just uh, two standard questions that I like to ask uh, all my guests. Uh, and, you know, obviously you've just done an amazing job at Harvard University uh, with the program, and you've coached uh, amazing players from uh, James Blake, uh, everyone knows him, to, uh, you know, other players who are on tour like Dennis Nguyen. And uh, so I like to ask our guests, so what is one thing that our audience can do to help improve their tennis game? Oh, I think be a student of the game. Um I, I, I often, you know, I, I, I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record, but um, I often tell people that I recruit, I said, I'm not really interested so much in the player that, that says, well, what can you do for me? I'm really interested in the player that says, what can I do to make the team better? I want to leave my stamp on the team. And so when I look at people, um, anybody that I've seen that is a giver gets more back out of tennis than they've ever given. And you see, we just lost a wonderful man, Bud Collins, a uh, little while ago. The guy just gave throughout his whole life. He was just an encyclopedia for tennis. He loved the history of the game. He loved the players. He was patient with the adolescent remarks of young players when they were learning. Um, I think that you get the most out of the game by figuring out how can, I, how can I share this gift with someone else? How can I take someone out and hit some little Nerf balls on the court? Uh, how, tennis has gotten so expensive. Kids used to learn it in the public parks. Parents who take time to look, put little um, play groups together uh, and, and, and don't have to make a million dollars doing it, that's what made tennis great in the past. And unfortunately, we've sort of gotten so commoditized about tennis now that we kind of see how much we can, we try to hook up a, a hose to, to whatever value is left in the game instead of putting value back into it. So I'd like to kind of keep pumping use our efforts to pump value back into the game and and other generations are going to have more that they enjoy so it's it's, it's a little preachy i'm sorry but yeah. that's the way i believe it oh no dave i was a very wise words um you know if you really look at the most successful people they they provide the most value to to everybody and then that then they have great lives from that um so dave how can our audience contact and support you, Harvard Tennis, or Universal, or anything like that? Oh, boy. Well, it's people from other, other Ivy Leagues are going to run for cover when you say, how can they support Harvard Tennis? <laughs> but, I, but, but I really think it's interesting. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that, that the U.S. LTA, what used to be the U.S. Lawn Tennis Association, was started by Harvard people back in the 1880s. And uh, they started the Harvard Lawn Tennis Association four years before the United States Lawn Tennis Association. Um, and then uh, some years later, um, uh, Dwight Davis started the Davis Cup, also a Harvard player, and Harvard players started on that. So I think that what, what, what they can do most is to, um, is to help whatever group they're associated with. Um, people that started early didn't just take care of things at Harvard. They looked at a bigger stage and said, how can we make this great game available to more people on a bigger stage? And look what it is today. And the Davis Cup today is, a, is, is like the World Cup. It's just a fantastic international competition that people aspire to play on, people love to go watch. So help your local associations. And as far as universal tennis, um, get on, ask us questions, uh, make us better. Um, you know, it, it, it's a cliche, but all of us together are smarter than any of us individually. Tell us what you'd like to see um, for new features. Tell us how we can help you run better tournaments. Um, 
down the road, we'll try to be providing those tools for people and people will be uh, instrumental in, in uh, helping us understand which tools to build first. So that's pretty much it. That's how you can help. Just help the people around you. Well, Dave, again, thank you so much for everything you do, um, for impacting so many players' lives and for uh, advocating uh, such a, a wonderful and exciting new system in uh, the Universal Tennis uh, rating system. And um, also, thanks for being on the show, and I hope to speak with you soon. And again, best of luck with Harvard Men's Tennis in the season. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Maribyrn. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it, too. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Tennis Files podcast on the Universal Tennis Rating System with Dave Fish. I will have all the show notes on tennisfiles.com slash 12. And so I'll have all the links that Dave mentioned about Universal Tennis Rating and any other links mentioned on the show today at tennisfiles.com slash 12. And so going with the theme of ratings, um, I definitely would really appreciate it if you guys could rate the Tennis Files podcast, uh, whether it be on iTunes or whatever other podcast app that you use to listen to the show. For iTunes, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes and click the blue button that says view in iTunes and then uh, rate the show that way. I always like to end the show with a motivational quote. And so the one today is from Richard Bach. And he says, there are no mistakes. The events we bring upon ourselves, no matter how unpleasant, are necessary in order to learn what we need to learn. Whatever steps we take, they're necessary to reach the places we've chosen to go. So with that, I wish you all a fantastic week, month, and year. And uh, I just want you guys to do everything you can to improve your tennis game, and definitely go and check out the Universal Tennis rating system. And I think that's going to be something that can really revolutionize the game in the future uh, moving forward. So thanks so much, guys. Um, You know, again, all the best, and I look forward to serving you and helping you with your tennis game. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.